When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, Bills Mafia? Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot in your house. Maybe your house? Are you in your living room? Your family room? Where do you watch out at Buffalo Bills football podcast? Are you in your phone? Are you at work? Are you in the car? You could be anywhere. Wherever you are, we are we are so thankful that you're spending part of your night with us here on Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets. Whether you're celebrating at home or away, uh, Tops has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football entertaining or any occasion. Ryan Talbot, how are you tonight, my friend? Hey, I am doing great, Matt. Uh, great to get our show here as we kind of flip the page a little bit and look toward the uh, Buffalo Bills' next game here, a big one against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're going to talk uh, a little bit more about what happened on Monday night. We're going to talk about the state of the team, which which is what where I kind of want to start. And then we're going to have a guest, Gene Battaglia. Uh, if you don't know Gene, he is one half of Danger and Bataglia, who are on the sports bar, uh, Rochester Radio. We had them on uh, a few uh, months ago. We did all the, the the entire Rochester show. we got a funny story for that. That part of the show, we're going to dive into what I think has been the biggest hot button issue maybe of the season, uh, the post-game interaction between Micah Hyde and Jerry Sullivan. Uh, we're going to get into that quite a bit. Uh, when Gene gets on later today, Gene's covered the Bills for many years. I'll have some, uh, some comments on that, I'm sure. And also just want to get into the entire situation, break it down a little bit. But I think where I want to start, Ryan, is the state of the Bills. And that's something that I think, you know, myself, a lot of the colleagues on the beat today is something that we were talking about, like, you know, recalibrating expectations for this team and what maybe could be possible. I mean, I fielded so many text messages this week, a lot about what was happening with the Micah Hyde Jerry situation. But in a lot of those conversation, it usually evolved into what's going on with the team. And, you know, I think looking around at the struggles that this team has had, it's, it's put an extra level of strain on the team, the organization you're seeing it, you've seen it play out in some of the press conferences. And I think one of the big questions is how aligned is everyone in the building right now. It's something that's come up in press conferences the last couple of days with Sean McDermott and Brian Dable. They both say that they are aligned. They do know what this offense, you know, that what they want it to be. And, you know, uh, from the outside looking in, I guess it's easy to criticize, but where are you at right now? I have some thoughts on where things are at for this team to be able to get things together and, and maybe make a run. Well, in, you know, I, I think where we're at is we have to lower the expectations. This team is clearly not who 
Uh, we thought they could be heading into the season, uh, coming off of an AFC championship game appearance, coming off of a regular season game this year where they put a beat down on the team that beat them twice last season in Kansas City, once in the regular season and once in the championship game. I think after that game, that's when things really skyrocketed in terms of expectations for the Buffalo Bills. And that's also when kind of the wheels have fallen off. Since that game, it's been win-loss, 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 going back and forth and back and forth. And they have not been able to uh, sustain any kind of momentum. They have not been able to be on the same page. Some weeks it's the offense that's uh, going off. You can go to that Tennessee game. Josh Allen was moving the ball at will. They put up 31 points in that game. But the defense couldn't stop Derrick Henry and company. And you can go to other games like Jacksonville where the defense was on and and they limited Jacksonville uh, to nine points, but Buffalo couldn't muster more than six. So for whatever reason, this team just can't get on the same page at the same time for a sustained amount of time. Uh, and you can go back to the start of the Sean McDermott era. You can go back to when the defense was, was bailing out the offense. You can go to last year when the offense was bailing out the defense. I think a lot of us thought that this was the year when both units were going to step up and do their part. And we've still seen flashes of that. We've seen a few games where they've been dominant on both sides of the ball. There's just something missing, so to speak. They're they're missing something that uh, made them special last year. That's just kind of holding them back this year. Maybe it's the underdog mentality. Maybe it was no pressure because, you know, they, they were kind of playing with house money. Uh, and then this year, they're like the Super Bowl favorite. So that the outside pressure, I don't know what it is, but I, I think we have to obviously lower expectations and see if this team can get into the playoffs as a wild card team. Everything there well said. I, I think the the chase for the playoffs at this point, you could kind of turn the page and start pretty much fresh. And I think that hearing you know, players today talk about, you know, getting back to work and trying to fix some of the things. And then something Stefan Diggs that I'll, said today that I'll mention that I think maybe some cause for, for hope, if you will. You know, one of the big storylines last week was 11 days off to prepare for the New England Patriots. And I think if you're a Bills fan sitting here today with what happened a couple of days ago, based on that fact that you had 11 days to get ready, you had 11 days to find the composure in the moment. One of my biggest problems with what we're seeing out of the Bills right now is one thing that consistently is being said. They still believe that they're a great team. I don't necessarily think at any point this season they've actually showed themselves to be a great team. Have they had some wins? Yes. But there's been a, a change in expectation this year. There hasn't been that string of games that you're able to kind of sink your teeth into and say, yeah, they figured some things out and they're showing you know, uh, a different level of execution. That's a, a buzzword that we keep hearing with them. It's hard because I think that the the team is kind of trying to balance, all right, talking about execution and then actually going into what they think they have to do to be better. But I think it, it comes down to something simple. And Stefan Dick said two things today. Number one, he said, you know, Josh Allen actually introduced it. Instead of adding things at this point when when searching for answers, it's about maybe subtracting some things, maybe simplifying the offense and, and and it comes down to, I think, winning your one on ones, getting in open space and making plays. And I think getting back to basics in a lot of ways will help with execution. And then he also said, you know, it's about getting back to who they were, getting guys comfortable in the offense once again. And there's history here. There's there's 20 months and, you know, what, 22, 24 odd games where this offense, this passing game has executed. And I think that to get back to doing that. 
they have to have some urgency. And this comes back to what I think my, my biggest takeaway from this team. And we talked about it on the show the other day. If you have an urgent approach, approach, what Josh Allen said today, he said it again. We're very, there's an urgency to get this thing right. You have to play that way. You have to prepare for it, come into the game and then execute a game plan that you had solidly, you had solid confidence in to go out there and execute. And I don't think we've seen enough of that week to week. No, I, I think that's a great point. And l- listen, Matt, years ago, I was able to go see the late, great Tom Petty at Darien Lake. And uh, when, when I got to go see him, no one wanted to hear the new songs. They wanted to hear the greatest hits. And that's what the Bills need to do. Play the greatest hits. Go back to what has worked for this team with Josh Allen, with this offense. Go to the to the the short passing game. Feed the ball to Stefan Diggs. Get Beasley involved in the slot, depending on who you're seeing, what you're what you're who you're playing. Get Dawson Knox more involved. Stop trying to be something you're not. I, I'm I, you know, listen, I cover this team, but I'm sick of watching the runs up the middle when you don't have a back that Mm-hmm. can do that. And I'm sick of watching the team that's trying to be this physical power team when they don't have the offensive line or the blocking to do it. Go to the hits, throw the ball 19 times in a row like you did last year if you have to. Use your running backs the way they should be used. Use Breida on the outside for his speed. I know he had a really bad fumble and it's Sean McDermott's MO to put someone in the doghouse instantly when that happens. We didn't see him for quite some time in that Patriots game, but Use the players to their strengths. Go out there and, and try to to not necessarily match up to what your opponent's doing. Make them match up to what you're trying to do. Get the best players out there. Get what's worked for you in the past and try to score points because we've seen what they're doing now. It's not working between the 20s. It's not working in the red zone absolutely most weeks. So go back to what works. You know, Brian Dable uh, was asked about what's going on with the offense and whether or not Sean and him are on the same page. And he said, and he, and he said, yes, Sean said yes. But one of the things that was interesting that came out of that question was him talking about wanting to establish the line of scrimmage, be a physical team. And I think a lot of people were taken aback. I I tweeted a gif out. (laughs) I tweeted the Van Wilder, but why gif out? Because it's like, you sit back and be like, you look at what the personnel that they have, you look at the players that they have and it doesn't really lend itself to a physical rush first approach. And at times I know the weather was what it was, but you were passing the ball pretty well. You were effective as a passing offense. And I think there's just this, this disconnect or this, it's a, it's a timidness. It's a not really knowing or having enough faith in what you should be based on what you just said, you know, go play the greatest hits. I don't know if there's enough confidence in those hits, maybe because of some lingering frustrations or conflict from what happened against the Kansas City Chiefs and really in a a greater sample size, the entire playoffs last year. I mean, this was a team that found its identity over the course of the season. They were they were breaking records, team records. Josh Allen was a MVP candidate and then the wheels fell off. And I don't know if they went back and tried to reinvent themselves this offseason I I don't think they're trying to be a run first team but when you say that it conjures up feelings of why do you want to be that and the more I've had time to think about it over the last 24 hours I don't necessarily think that that's what he meant Brian in that we want to be a run first team what I took away from that more so given some thought is I think he wants to be 
able to run the ball effectively as you get later into December and into January, because historically speaking, if you can't run the ball in the playoffs to a degree, it's going to limit your offense, even your passing game to be able to have success and to score points. What are your thoughts on on everything that kind of came out of the press conference with Brian Dable and, and Sean McDermott yesterday? Well, I agree with what you're saying, but what's going to change? I get, you know, hey, if we keep giving the ball, maybe they break one off. But the, the offensive line's not suddenly going to turn into this group that creates these large running lanes and the backs aren't going to turn into uh, they're not going to develop some skill that they've been missing all their career in terms of the, the extra speed or the vision or the burst. I get what he's trying to say, and I get that you do have to run to a certain extent. You can't be too one-dimensional, and I know I just mentioned passing the ball 19 straight times, which we saw in the regular season. I get you have to mix it up a little bit, but I feel like that they're taking downs away from themselves. And, you know, you go back to that game against New England. First and goal from the six-yard line. You run with Zach Moss, and he picked up a few yards, and that's all well and good. But then Josh Allen uh, trips over his own lineman, and then he's sacked. And at that point, you're already kind of really far down and you're away from what you're doing. Why aren't you getting someone in there and using some motion? And why aren't you trying a jet sweep? I know that uh, Isaiah McKenzie was inactive and he's someone that was you're using in motion a lot last year. But you can use someone else in that. Why aren't you using Josh Allen? There were some stats out there that in the red zone, he's been used nine times this year and he hasn't been overly effective. Uh, but eight of those rushes came before the or the second Miami game or earlier. And we've only really seen a few since then, or one since then in the red zone first and goal from the six. If you give Josh Allen, uh, you know, three runs in a row, I think he punches that into the end zone. I don't know if they're overthinking things. I don't know if there is a disconnect and they're just kind of putting the smiles on their faces and saying otherwise to the media, because they're not going to come out and be like, Oh yeah, no, this guy's really uh, dropping the ball this year and he's not doing his job. I think you have to come out and say that they're you're on the same page. But th- there is some kind of disconnect. Are they trying to be something that they're not on offense? Would Brian Dable love to have Isaiah McKenzie maybe to use for motion to try to help figure out what the defense is doing to use on a few gadget plays here and there? And I'm not saying one player who's been inactive the last few weeks unlocks everything for this offense. Don't get me wrong. But you take away little things like that and you, you know, you're, you're kind of handcuffing your offensive coordinator from things that worked last year. And, and at the end of the day, Brian Dable does make the calls on offense. There's, you know, Sean McDermott isn't an offensive mind. He's not going to be there and try to change things on the fly for him. But something just isn't connecting there. So that's kind of my big takeaway. They're saying one thing, but I'm just not seeing it, Matt. You know, I think Josh Allen's best game of the season came against the Kansas City Chiefs. And one of the things that I went back and looked to kind of Get an idea of what he did so well in that. And he was good as a passer. They didn't have a great pass rush that game, but he he ran. He ran the ball in that game. He ran the ball more than 10 times. That's the only time he's done that this year. I went back to figure out the Bills record when Josh Allen has rushed for a touchdown in a game over his career. Over the last two seasons, the Bills are 10-0 and 0 when Josh Allen rushes for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And lifetime, 21-3. and 3 since they drafted Josh Allen when he rushes for a touchdown this year, three touchdowns in the red zone. And I almost feel like the way that the bills have evolved as an offense and the way that Josh Allen has evolved as a passer, it's easier now not to rely on that part of it. 
because of how good he is as a, as a passer. They have Stefan Diggs. They have Gabriel Davis. They have Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley and Dawson Knox. They have all these pieces. But I, I sometimes feel like in the big games, in the big moments, like we saw against Kansas City earlier this year, when you put that stress and pressure on the defense that they have to deal with Josh Allen as a runner. And listen, there's always the downside of that and that he, it's much more higher chance that he can get hurt. But he can also get hurt when there's an, uh, you know, an unblocked rusher like Matthew Judon was the other night that absolutely laid him out uh, and, and nobody picked him up. You know, he can get hurt in a lot of different ways. And I just think that the stress that you put on the defense when you're able to activate that part of Josh Allen's game, and that's it's it's partly on Josh. Because I think I'm not necessarily saying design runs like design runs are, are, are they had their place. I mean, if you go back over his last couple of seasons, there's been some really good plays where they've dialed something out, got got Mitch Morse or John Feliciano or whoever, you know, to pull out and, and, get, and get a lead blocker and and, and kind of get things going that way. And, and there's been some good plays, but most of it comes like that one play. I think it went for like 20 some yards where Josh Allen saw the play breaking down. He saw a hole, he hit the hole, and he made a big play. And they're just, to me, there wasn't enough of that. I think in a game like that, when you're worried about the pressures, you get him out running and it kind of changes the complexion of the game and changes what the defense has to do and how they play you. And I just didn't feel like at any point in that game, which is crazy because of the circumstances, did they fear Josh as a runner in that game? No, I, I think that's great. Uh, some great points that you just raised there. And, and yeah, I saw the comments here too about, you. Know, well, if you run them, that's how you get hurt. Yes and no. I mean, it, it can work both ways. If they do one of those outside runs with him a sweep, you have an extra blocker in. You have a running back as an extra blocker in front of him. There's ways that he can get to the sideline and not take hits. It, it's the ones up the middle with that uh, we've seen get stymied and get stopped at times this year where, yes, then he's taking some unnecessary contact. And you don't want that. Uh, but you you can't play in fear. I get that he is a $258 million quarterback, but this is a 7-5 and five team now. And you can't just say, well, let's just keep him more as a, a pocket passer and let him run when he has to scramble. You need to find that happy medium, Matt, between year one Josh Allen, where if his first read wasn't there, his instinct was, I'm going to take off with this ball and I'm going to just kind of, you know, stiff arm some guys, leap over some guys, do what I have to do. And then 2021 Josh Allen, where, yeah, things break down, he takes off but he almost feels like he, he's trying to do too much in terms of waiting for someone to get open or trying to do too much in the passing game. He needs to be that guy that's dangerous with his legs that makes you play someone as a spy on him maybe, and that frees someone up in the passing game. They have to just find that happy medium. And again, that goes back to what we're talking about. Something's just not clicking right now uh, with a lot of really good offensive teams this year. It's not just Buffalo. You can point to Baltimore, who's struggled to score a lot this year. You can point to Kansas City, who I think their defense has stepped up a lot as of late, and the offense has really delivered some duds. Uh, Patrick Mahomes Mahomes has not been that good. So some of these great offenses are, are starting to get figured out. Or they're kind of, uh, for whatever reason, they're just kind of stopping themselves. Penalties, bad plays, this, that, or the other. And the Bills are in that same boat. Let's get into the Bucks here for, for a minute. Flip the page pretty quickly. You're going from super you know, cold temperatures. I think it felt like at, at one point in that game, like below 20. Uh, with the wind gusts that were going on there and just the weather elements to beautiful, sunny, 80 degrees. Florida, Tampa Bay, Florida on uh, Sunday afternoon, 425 start. 
you got Josh Allen at the, you know, the, the image that I, that I put together for this episode. I mean, it's, it's Josh Allen versus Tom Brady, you know, uh, all those years watching football, you know, idolizing Tom Brady, you know, Allen talked about a little bit about what he does so well today and the respect, obviously the mutual respect that I think exists there between the two players. But to me, the biggest thing about the, the, the Buccaneers is how unbelievably consistent and unproductive that passing offense has been, you know, listen, he's got tons of weapons. I mean, Rob Gronkowski looks like he's found the fountain of youth. I mean, he's out there, you know, two touchdown receptions uh, last week. I mean, Tom Brady threw for four touchdowns. Again, he leads the NFL with 34 touchdown passes on the season. I mean, it's just unbelievable production. They got the number one scoring offense in the league. They have the number one passing offense in the league. And, Leonard Fournette has not only been a reliable runner for them, he's an absolute weapon out of the passing game as well. He's almost what, you know, I think everybody envisioned when they drafted him in Jacksonville, what he turned out to be. He's now being that for this loaded Tampa Bay offense. There's going to be no Antonio Brown, but Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and the biggest scary thing, Larry says it here on Facebook, no Tredavious White for the Bills. It's going to be... An unbelievable test for Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace on Sunday. Yeah, I put out my things to watch article earlier today, and one of them was Tom Brady versus this cornerback duo. Uh, listen, Taron Johnson can, you know, fare for himself. He's one of the best in the business at what he does in the slop of those outside receivers. Levi Wallace, Dane Jackson, they're coming off of a game where they weren't tested because the, the Patriots did not want to pass the ball in that wind. Uh, they had no game plan of doing it unless the Bills had built some kind of lead, which they couldn't do in that game. So Tom Brady, he's going to be throwing it. He's going to be slinging it. And I guarantee you he's going to be testing Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson early and often. And, and you just mentioned it. This is still the, the best passing attack in the league. Brady uh, looks unbelievable still. Tops and yards and everything else. And, you know, you mentioned Antonio Brown's not in, but you mentioned some of the pass catchers. Um, they even have some some lesser talent in terms of not so much as the starters, but Cameron Brates on that team, uh, Scotty Miller. They, they have some talented players, even even guys that have smaller roles where this secondary is going to get tested. And Leonard Fournette, I believe he's top 15 in rushing yards. Um, so he, he's not Jonathan Taylor necessarily, but he's having a lot of success on the ground. He's having some success as a receiver. So this, if the Bills want to win this, I think it's going to be more of a shootout than anything else. And the defense has to be that bend but not break unit that we've seen time and time again under the Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott umbrella, because you're going to give up yards to this team. But when you get in the red mm-hmm. zone, when you get down there, can you limit them to three points rather than seven? At the end of the day, that could determine the outcome of the game. We, we've seen Tampa Bay, though, have some duds this year. I know they're 9-3. and three. They lose to the Washington football team. Washington, credit to them, had some good pressure in that game. Uh, they lose to a, a Saints team led by Trevor Simeon, the same Trevor Simeon that the Bills absolutely wreaked havoc on uh, on Thanksgiving. So it's it's just a weird league. It's a, it's a week-to-week league. Uh, this team can be beaten, but yeah, it's, it's a little worrisome when you go in and, and you know that Jackson and Wallace uh, are really going to get uh, tested. They're going to have to make a play or two here and there, a pass breakup, maybe a an interception, but if they can make a play or two, they can keep this team in this game. Yeah. I think that um, red zone is going to be key. And I'm really interested to see what the bills can go back into the drawing board here over the course of the practice week and, you know, execution, like getting it done in the red zone, you know, Josh Allen, Stefan 
Diggs were in pretty much unison today talking about it. Um, you know, it, it, it starts on Monday with preparation, you know, working on the little things, the little details that I think, you know, uh, penalties in the red zone are killer blown protections, you know, that lead to sacks. I mean, we saw those things just absolutely destroy drives for the bills uh, on, on, on not only Monday night, but like throughout the season and some of the toughest games and you go back to like the Jacksonville game where they just consistently shot themselves in the foot. And I know that they struggle to, um, pass protecting that game. They're dealing with some some injuries on the offensive line, but that's something that's always kind of comes into play. Let me say this before we get go any further. From hot to go pizza and appetizer, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs, to delicious salads and brownie trays, Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan. You know the, the big thing about this game is what do the Bills want to be in this game? And here's another little kind of nugget. I almost wonder if Brian Dable didn't throw out all that establishing the line of scrimmage, physicality, running the football, all this kind of stuff, and put all that running stuff on tape against the Monday night in the Monday night game with the idea that they want the the Buccaneers to prepare like the Bills are going to try to run the ball in this game. And then the Bills come out on Sunday and they go back to that pass happy attack. Like call me crazy, Ryan. I think we could see a situation where Brian Dable opens up like throwback 15 straight passes or something like that. No, I, I wouldn't shock me at all. I mean, listen, Tampa Bay has some talent up front. The, the secondary uh, can be exploited, though. And why not go with your best players, your Stefan Diggs, your Dawson Knox, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, Gabriel Davis, who's playing really well over the last few weeks for the most part. Go to those guys, get the ball in their hands and let them try to beat Tampa Bay. If you're just going to be uh, slow and plodding and try to run the ball and establish the, the line of scrimmage, I think you're going to find yourself behind pretty quickly in this matchup and be playing catch up once again. And that's not a, a, a recipe for success against this Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, offense that we'll be seeing on Sunday afternoon. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. We got him in the green room. I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't like to be rude and have our guests wait around, wait around too long. So we'll, uh, We'll get him fired up here. All right. So I got to tell the story first and foremost. I don't even think Ryan really knows the, the full extent of this story because Gene always tells me that when you go on the radio show, uh, Danger and Bataglia on ESPN Rochester, actually, I, it's changing. The fan. Um, I'll, yes. I'll let them announce. I'll let him announce that in a second. Um, the sports bar. When he goes in the radio program, Gene always brings up the fact that he's always trying to get on the podcast. And I think he's, he's mentioned it to me that Ryan's always kind of like, I don't really know what you're talking about. Cause like, I don't think Ryan listened to my head or whatever the case may be. So every time I go on in some awkward, strange way, Gene kind of works in that he wants to be a guest in the podcast. Like when Ryan, when you were going to miss the one show, he's like, Hey, if you need a host, I'll start. And I always shut him down. It's become kind of like a shtick. This week he asked again, and I don't know what it is. And I think it's probably the Christmas season or something like that. I was like, you know what? Let's bring him in. I'm in a giving mood right now. Gene Battaglia, what is up, my friend? And I joke about him. I, I made a, a little crack about him a couple weeks ago, but you're one of my favorites, my friend. What's up? Matt, Matt you as well. And, and Ryan, the first time we met Ryan, we're doing the, the night where Sammy Watkins got drafted. So it, it, yeah. like Ryan is the first person I actually met on air. And uh, you guys do a great job. And, and certainly um, 
I appreciate you rolling with the joke here, Matt. That, but it is no joke. I've been wanting to be on this podcast. So every time Matt comes on our show, I invite myself, which is kind of rude. But I appreciate the opportunity <laughs> to come on here tonight. And and Danger never misses the opportunity to absolutely bash Gene when he does do that. And it's just become like a fun little uh, we're 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 on a Ferris wheel and it, we're going around and around and around. And it's it's a great time now. Let everybody know like wh- where they can find you, because if they don't already listen to Danger and Bataglia, maybe you don't live in Rochester, but you can get them uh, on pretty much all the audio platforms. Yeah, Odyssey is the app that we're on. A lot of radio stations uh, are on that app. And so we are on afternoons three to six. Um, Matt, you're really cool. Most Tuesdays, Matt Perino joins us in the afternoon. Ryan comes on a lot on Mondays. So we talk Buffalo Bills where in Rochester, it's like the Bills here, and that's it. That's what people are really interested for. I mean, when the Bills started training uh, at St. John Fisher back in 2000, that's when our, our town, you know, they always love the Bills, but far and away, uh, we are the Bills and everything else in our town. Big news of the week. It's It was so big that it's still kind of trending on social media. There's been podcasts dedicated to it, national talking head segments dedicated to it if you haven't seen it i mean you all you have to do is put in a twitter search or a google search at this point and you'll find it after the game on monday night obviously a tough emotional loss for the bills micah hyde and jordan poyer as always were the first out to the podium and you know longtime sports columnist in the area jerry sullivan now covering the home games for the niagara gazette asked micah hyde um a question that has been debated uh, for the past week. We're going to get into a little bit of of all of it tonight. He basically said, after what happened, the Patriots threw three passes. You lost the game. It hasn't happened since 1974. Are you embarrassed? That was that was the question. And Micah Hyde took exception to it. So did Jordan Poyer. So much so that there was an exchange. When, when Micah Hyde was done a few minutes later, he was walking off the podium and he kind of said something back at Jerry and Jerry went, you could go back and watch it. I'm sure most Bills fans have already seen it, but I wanted to get into it a little bit today because I think it's, um, it's, it's an interesting topic. And a lot of people have been tweeting at me, asking me for my reaction to it and, and my thoughts on it. We'll start with Eugene as the guest cover this team a long time. You told me a story, you know, uh, via text today that you were in the locker room when, you know, Jerry uh, went, went at it back in the day. Uh, so you've seen a lot. You've been around this team a long time. What were your impressions of the question and the, in the whole situation? Yeah, I thought the question was fair. I mean, it, when you have a game like that, who knew you could win a football game by just attempting three passes? So a question, are you embarrassed? That's a fair question. Maybe it's not the best question, as Tim Graham pointed out in his podcast, that it, it sets you up for a yes or no. I think that's what people want to know. Like what? And indirectly, kind of in a roundabout way, Micah Hyde's reaction kind of leads you to believe that he's not happy with how that went. I think what people need to understand, too, is the way it's not like a Zoom call. It's not like there's a moderator calling on you. You have to jockey for that question, as you know, Matt, when you're in that room, like who's going to be the next one up? So when Jerry is just kind of blurting it out, maybe that comes across the wrong way. But I would have liked to see the Bill Safeties kind of take that in a different approach. Sean McDermott was asked the same exact question and he didn't 
you know, he said, yeah, it was embarrassing. So for Micah Hyde to just kind of pause then too, and there's a whole other angle to this for him to kind of point out that, Hey, I do this every week, you know, a little more respect or whatever it was. Is he in a way <laughs> pointing out who's not doing this every week? Because I would wonder where is Jerry Hughes? Where's Starla Tulele? Where is Harrison Phillips? Um, Tremaine Edmonds is on a zoom. That's a little bit different when you're on a zoom as, as far as facing people. So there's a few different angles to that, but that all happens because it's an embarrassing loss. It is, you know, somewhere around midnight at that point. So everybody is tired. They're cold. They're grouchy. And it's one of the worst losses in regular season history, in my mind, in Bill's franchise history. I mean, it really, it really was considering what was at stake and how the loss happened and what this might do to the season. It was just a terrible all around loss. So where I am a little critical of how they answered the question. I think it's very understandable why it came out the way that it did and we'll see how, how it kind of moved on. I think Micah did the right thing too, by just saying, Hey, look, you know what? I'm a sore loser. <laughs> Let's move on, basically. Right. And, and I agree with you. I think the question was fair. Uh, I think there's just a lot of circumstances that they're ticked off. They thought they had a good game plan to win that game. They did hold Tampa Bay to, uh, I'm sorry, New England to a certain amount of points where, yeah, they they gave up a lot of run run uh, rushing yards, but they they limited them in terms of points. And despite the win, despite um, all the factors, the Bills had the ball deep in New England territory. All they had to do was punch it in one time, and they win that game. And the defense did their job late in terms of stopping them from the end zone and, and letting the game get out of reach. So. I think that's part of it. And you also hit upon it. Where are these other players? Um, before his injury, Trey White really hadn't spoken with the media. I know that Levi Wallace is a pretty quiet guy, Taron Johnson, but they, they change it up a little bit. Give some of these other guys, get them out there in front of the media because since that Kansas City game, it, it has. It's been a yo-yo effect where they're winning, losing, winning, losing. And, and that also has to kind of... Uh, factor into the frustration level where it's just like, man, we, we cannot build upon these wins. It's just another loss. And then we kind of bounce back. And when you can't sustain wins and, and you're not meeting the expectations where of where you were one year ago, uh, all of a sudden winning the AFCs for the second consecutive season looks like it might be uh, getting very close to being out of reach. Your, your frustration level has to go up. So when that question's posed, I get why they acted the way that they did, but I didn't see anything wrong with it. Matt, what did you think? Okay. So very, very layered here. And I'm going to kind of get into all, all the different ways that I looked at this first and foremost at the heart of the question. I don't believe that the, there was anything wrong with the question. I don't even think like I've seen a lot of discourse on it being like a trigger word you know, and a word you don't use. And I think that that's true. I think that there are times you don't want to use specific words that could kind of, you know, be hurtful or, you know, um, and, and in doing your job as a journalist, you're trying to extract information. And if you kind of stifle that situation in any way where you're not able to do that, you're not doing your job. So I understand that. But I thought the context of what Jerry was asking about a loss that hasn't happened in the entire league that way in five decades there's merit to asking, do you feel embarrassed about that? Now, I do agree with Tim Graham. A yes or no question in that scenario is not the way to pose it. Here's another problem for Jerry Sullivan. And I'll be completely open about this. Jerry's a friend of mine. 
I, I've looked up to Jerry for a long time. When I was in journalism school at UB, he came and spoke to one of my classes. He's been somebody that I've I've always kind of looked up to in the business. But here's the thing, and I and and, and I've told Jerry this. I told him this at lunch recently. Tone is everything in this business. When you are talking to anybody, whether I'm talking to Gene or I'm talking to Ryan or I'm talking to Micah Hyde or Josh Allen or whoever, how you say things that determines the, the the discourse that you have with people. And I've always thought that Jerry just takes everything so personally, like the bills lost and it's somehow that was done to him. The, you know, a, a player didn't make a play and that was somehow done to him. It wasn't, I, I'm pretty sure every, I, I could say this with relative, you know, confidence that everybody in that locker room is trying their damnedest to win these games. I, I see all the work that they put in there. I'm in the room every day. I talk to these guys every day. You see that. So when it doesn't go right and, and you're, you're holding them accountable with tough questions, I just think that there's a, a level of empathy, you know, based on the fact that you do know how much goes into this thing. I don't think Micah Hyde is the guy necessarily that should even be on the hook for answering a question about effort or, you know, misplays. This is a guy that I tell people all the time, if I was given out a media award, if I had a vote, you know, for best media interview for the Bills, I would give it to Micah Hyde. He's always available. Going back to my time in the locker room, there's times I'd he'd do a full media scrum where you stand in front of like you've been in there, Gene, like 10 to 20 cameras, a bunch of reporters. You know, it's a it's a 15 minute session and it's it's exhausting. And maybe I was in another corner and I was interviewing somebody else. I didn't get Micah, but I needed him for a story. I could tell you, I could count on two hands how many times I've gone up to him after he did that already. And he went in, give me, and gave me another interview, even after doing that. So he's just one of the good guys. And I just don't think that, you know, in the end, was it an embarrassing loss? Yes. Was it in, you know, was Micah Hyde the guy to convey that embarrassment? I'm not so sure. Maybe it's something that could have been asked to Josh Allen. It was asked to Sean McDermott and he answered the question and said it. I just think it comes down to having some tact, being able to read the room. But I also do think, Gene, what you said is very important. The live press conference environment, and I think I've seen this tweeted out by some people, it's very performative, right? You have to kind of get in there, get your voice heard. Otherwise, you're probably not going to be able to ask a question in that 10, you know, sometimes as low as five-minute session. And so it becomes a very contentious environment. People are screaming, you know, when you finally do get into your question, the tone can be a problem. So for Jerry, who I think already struggles with his tone, it could be a problem. But I think long story short, looking out into the the future here in, in the scheme of bad media athlete interactions, this, this wasn't really ranking in, 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 in the all timers by any stretch. And who knows, this might be something if you're a bills fan, Maybe Jerry's entire or um, intended his intent in this whole thing is to provoke a reaction. If you're a Bills fan, maybe this lights a fire under a team that's looking to try to finally start to build some things. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is also a byproduct of not having the locker room availability after a game during on Wednesdays. And I know a lot of people would say, well, who cares? Well, if you were any reporter that wanted to ask that question of Micah Hyde, normally he would be at his locker and he's not on a podium and you could ask that question. It doesn't become this big, big to do then afterward. And, and, and to your point about uh, Matt, about, 
you know, <laughs> how to ask the question. Maybe if you're going to ask the tough question, you, you, you perhaps pause a little bit and give the athlete like, Hey, this is coming. You're going to lay this out saying this is a game where the opponent only completed one pass, only attempted three passes first time since 1974, blah, blah, blah. Are you embarrassed by that? You know, there's the way that you present the question, the inflection of your voice kind of goes the same way. And um, when I was texting you earlier, uh, you know, today, Matt, it, it reminded me of the story. I'm I'm 22 years old at the time and it's 1993 and I get hired by Shout Magazine, which was not not that shop podcast. Ah. This is way back. Yeah, way back. Independent. And I get a credential to go in the Wednesday locker room. And I think it was my third time ever in the Bills locker room. And Bruce Smith comes barreling in and Jerry Sullivan's kind of standing in the hallway and he starts screaming. Let me tell you, I was scared, but Jerry <laughs> stood there and he he had this kind of half smile on his face and knowing that Bruce wasn't going to connect on him. But I thought maybe maybe he was. And the cameras come rushing over and somebody in Buffalo media has to have footage of that, because if that happened today, oh, my God, that's all we would be talking about, like mm-hmm. a player, you know, belittling it. So so for Jerry, this is what happened Monday night for him. You know, I'm sure he's not losing any sleep over it. Trust me, because uh, he's had other incidents <laughs> that have been, uh, you know, I think much bigger than, than what we saw Monday night. Yeah, I agree completely. And like he said, he, he feels like it's his obligation to ask the tough questions. Maybe the phrasing's off. Maybe the tone is off. Uh, but, but he did what he, he feels is his job. And at, at the end of the day, you have to, you know, you can respect that and you can respect how the players were feeling after that outcome. It, it just probably, like you guys said, maybe the, the tone and the way it was asked instead of maybe a, a build up and, it just kind of all went astray. And the fact that it was like airing live on sports center at the same time, uh, doesn't necessarily help matters either because then you, you have the whole national audience that's catching it as well. And that really helped it take off, uh, maybe into a bigger story than what it would have been. And it's Jerry. And we know the history of what happened at the Buffalo news and, you know, some of the, you know, I, I know the feelings within the Bills organization about him and that trickles down. I mean, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer have been here for, for a while. So, I mean, that was, that probably set them off to a degree as well. Micah actually asked for Jerry when he started his press conference on Tuesday. Jerry wasn't on the call. Uh, but I thought that would have been an interesting exchange because I, I, I'd imagine Micah Hyde wanted to squash that as much as there might be this idea of who Jerry Sullivan is and how he kind of operates. I think it was Jesse Pagula who actually tweeted. I'm not surprised about this once I found out who asked the question. I mean, there are, there are thoughts about, about him, but I also, for as much as some things could have been different about that, I do think that the role of the columnist is an important one in a locker room and on a beat for covering a, a, a sports team. And to not have those guys or girls who can kind of, you know, approach the experience a little bit different. Like I'm a beat reporter. Now, with that, in 2021, you kind of have your hands in a couple different jars just because of, you know, the job and what you have to do. You come sometimes have to be quasi columnist in, in how you cover it. But I do cover it from a more traditional reporter role, whereas a columnist 
you know, there's people that I tell the story. I've told the story on this podcast before. I have an uncle who's been watching the bills for 50 years. And, you know, when Jerry was fired by the Buffalo news or what, you know, all that stuff that happened there laid off or however you want to phrase it. He said, what the heck is going on? I read Jerry Sullivan every, every, every bills game. I have to read Jerry's column. And there's people that want that really critical coverage. At times, I almost feel like you're being critical to be critical. Like that's one objection I have to to Jerry's constant, like incessant, like banging the the media, the local media drum, and like he tweets this out like four or five times a year. Well, nobody on the Bills beat picked, uh, you know, the Bills to lose, so I'll do it. Well, that's not objectivity either. If you're if you're being contrarian to be a contrarian, you're not participating in an objective journalism. So there's, there's, there's a, a, a path that you can fall into there. You know what I do when I'm picking the games? Crazy thought, Gene. I pick who I think is going to win the game. Either way, there's no, there's no outside influence. There's no bias. I take one side. I do as much research as I can on that. I follow the bills for a living. I put the two things together. Ryan and I jump on the shelf football podcast and we come up with who we think is going to win. Every single time. But I think that role is important because I think it generates conversation around the team. And I think even to a degree, what Michael was saying was he has a respect for what our role in all of this too. And I'll say over the course of time, how many stories have, have come from columnists pushing buttons or, you know, pushing the conversations or, or, or questioning deeper that have turned into, you know, entertainment or information for fans it's happened and i think that's why the role is important yeah it, like and also too and just how our business print radio everything else is condensed there's just less jobs so like say here in rochester our local paper the democrat and chronicle um they used to have leo roth and sal Mayorana, and now they're just down to one guy where you had the traditional here's your beat guy and now here's your columnist who's going to offer you the opinion. And now those lines are blurred. I mean, Ryan comes on and he's covering the team. But when he comes on, I want to know your opinion. What's going on here? I, you know, so that's also part of this, too. And I just want to say I, I do have a lot of respect for Jerry Sullivan and for the job he does. And I do think that that is important. And if that's right, I missed that Jesse Pagula put that out. That's that's a little it's kind of disappointing because the question was a hundred percent fair. I, it wasn't a gotcha question. It certainly wasn't. All right. Let's get into some bill stuff here. The plan, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Gino, where have, you know, I think we talked a little bit about this on Tuesday, but now with a couple of days since the game, have you adjusted your expectations for this team? Uh, where were they before the Patriots game and where are they now here with this important stretch coming up? Yeah, this is okay. Um, I don't think they're going to win Tampa. I know I'm kind of going along with a lot of people on that. Um, it's just a tough matchup. The expectation here is can they actually get to <laughs> get a wild card here and sneak in as the fifth, sixth, or seventh because the benefit here in the AFC is who is really good. And the answer is, well, we don't know right now, right? So um, just get into the thing. See if you can connect some wins at the end. The schedule is favorable when three of the last four weeks you, you're home against inferior opponents where I don't even know who quarterback in Carolina right now. I know Matt Ryan isn't very good and good luck to the Jets coming up in week 18. And you should get that game in against, uh, against New England, but, but to go back to Tampa, 
they could lose the, lose this game. D seven and six. We'll be watching Sunday night football and the or whatever, and the graphic will go up, and all of a sudden the Bills are not in the playoff picture. They're in the hunt. It, it, it's fine. I mean, is this team mentally tough enough to get through this stretch? Tampa Bay this time last year had the same record as the Buffalo Bills, seven and five. I don't think there was a soul out there picking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to go on a run and, and win the Super Bowl. And I'm not saying that right now, but in Every sport now, it's not necessarily who is the best team. It's who's the hottest team. In baseball, the Atlanta Braves were not the best team. I'm sorry. They were a losing team at the All-Star break. They were a team that got a really nice, favorable matchup. It's not a baseball show, but just giving you the example that you, you can certainly be a good team and then the pieces fall nicely for you. So, to, to Bills fans watching this right now, I'll give it a little bit of hope. I mean, yes, you might not win this game on Sunday, but the season is not over. As long as you get into this tournament, this Bills team can, I think, on their best day, beat anybody in the AFC because there is not a dominant team in the AFC. And I'm sorry, the New England Patriots are not a dominant team. I give them credit for what they've done to this point, but I'd like to see uh, – I, I can't wait for that rematch on the 26th. Uh, yeah, I agree with you completely. I mean, they're the number one seed in the AFC, uh, and, and the Bills could, you know, could have easily beaten them in that game. And I think in the rematch, they're going to come out firing and, and look to knock them off. Uh, you have the Titans who are still up there that they are just, you know, they've had injuries occurred to most of their key players and you have to question what they're going to be in the playoff race. The only thing that would worry me if I were a Bills fan in this scenario is not only are the Bills dangerously close to in the hunt, but some of those teams that are at the top of the in the hunt list have those tiebreakers over the Bills. And if that's what it comes down to, uh, some of those losses to Pittsburgh and to the Colts could uh, really ruin their season. I, I do agree, though, the end of the season is very favorable to them. Uh, it's hard to think of an Atlanta team beating this Buffalo Bills team or the Jets, like you mentioned, the Panthers, uh, who have already, you know, once benched Cam Newton and they have uh, PJ Walker and, you know, they have other options, but they don't have a good option. So there's a lot, there's still winnable games here, but for this game on uh, Sunday afternoon, it's hard to, to think that the Bills are going to do this and win this game. When you consider the cornerback situation, knowing that you're without you, you Trey White, a guy that could shut down a portion of the field, knowing that this offense just has not clicked this season in the last, you know, in the last five six weeks, uh, you'd have to go back some ways before you you really felt good about them in terms of how they how they looked and how they fared against a good opponent. With all things considered, this looks like it's going to be a tough matchup on Sunday, but it, all hope is not lost based on that that schedule that they have remaining. You know, a lot's been made about like teams ability to play left-handed or right-handed if teams are trying to take things away. And the thing about the Buccaneers that scares you the most is that they tend to be successful this season, no matter what teams try to take away from them. And the Bills can't be that way because they're so dependent on the pass game that teams know what they're going to do. So it'll be interesting to see if the approach simp- making things a little bit more simple for this offense against the Bucs who, you know, have been a little bit susceptible to the past this season. Jamel Dean, uh, it looks like he's been upgraded in the, in, on the injury report today. He's been dealing with a concussion, but he was a full participant in practice. So looks like he may make his way through the protocol and be able to play. But even with him, that's where you're going to be able to beat this team. 
offensively for the Buccaneers, it is just unbelievable. I went back and looked at just their last two games, just for an immediate kind of look at what, what they've been able to do. Chris Godwin had like 15 for 150. Rob Gronkowski with a couple of touchdowns the other game. Two weeks ago when they played the Colts, you remember the Colts, the team that beat the Bills 41 to 15. They, they probably should have beat the Bucs. The Bucs weren't like really that special offensively in that game. They had like 350 yards, um, 217 passing yards. It wasn't the best game, game for Tom Brady. But in the end, they executed in the red zone, four for five in the red zone for the Buccaneers. They only allow Indianapolis to get into the red zone three times. So it's going to come down to can the Bills execute in the red zone? The Bills have a really good defense once they get their their backs up against their own uh, goal line. But this is a team that's been, I think, they're top five in the NFL in red zone execution. So there's a come down to that as well. But I'm very interested to see what uh, this offense looks like off of that performance going down into the very sunny conditions. There'll be no excuses against a defense that I think up front could you know, pose some problems. We'll see how things go with John Feliciano. And oh, by the way, I saw a question on him earlier in the show. He's practicing in full. He's still in the 21-day window. We don't know what that's going to look like on Sunday. Sean McDermott seems to really be, you know, uh, he's not providing too much information on that, but a very scary development today. And we'll see, we'll be out of practice tomorrow and we'll see how this thing trends. Chest injury for Ed Oliver today. He was limited, which kind of tends to be something happened in practice today. Starla Tulele missed with a toe injury today. They're all of a sudden depleted on the interior of that defensive line against an offense that can be physical, have a really good offensive line. And if Tom Brady has time on, on Sunday, it's it might be a wrap. Yeah. So what this comes down to is, will the Bills offense have a really big bounce back? And there's no reason to think they can't for this. On the list of reasons why the Buffalo Bills lost the New England Patriots, Josh Allen is not on my list. Josh Allen, I thought, had a solid game, okay? Yes, it was only 150 yards. What did you expect? And how many drops? And um, I heard you guys talking about it earlier, too. Like, can you get Josh Allen a little more involved with the legs in the red zone? Can you take some of those things? There was one play in the Colt game, and I thought it was actually the turning point of the Colt game where – Allen is like, they're on the move after Andy scores and Allen is using his legs first down. And then, oh, we get the, you know, we get the call against Cody Ford and the penalty and all of a sudden that kills it. Go back to those things. That would be your, your best running back on this team is your quarterback. So can you get Josh and, and it, what save him for what? This is the season here down the stretch here. All right. So that's, uh, I think this is the time you use Josh Allen and his legs. You want to get a postseason burst. So why not? you know, go down with your best player. So to me, if the Bills are going to go on this miraculous run, it has to be the offense because say it is the miraculous run and they do get through the AFC. Who's going to be on the other side? Tampa Bay? Arizona? The Rams? Green Bay? Like how confident we feel? I don't want to get to the Super Bowl if I'm a Bills fan. I want to win the whole darn thing. So you're going to have to outscore opponents. That's how the game is still played. I know it's physical, and I know that you know the league is trending more in that direction, but play to your strengths. I think that's what you said, Ryan. And your strengths are uh, Josh Allen, arm, legs. When you're using the arm, go to Diggs, go to Davis, go to Cole Beasley, go back to Dawson Knox. Don't be afraid of Dawson Knox. And please, for the love of God, put Isaiah McKenzie back in the lineup, okay? The Isaiah McKenzie jet sweep 
whenever the, the end of round comes, you know that's good for at least five to seven yards per time. So why why are you limiting yourself in that? I, I, I didn't understand that, why you went with Kumaro over McKenzie. So whatever it was, uh, other than the fumble, because there has to be something more, in my opinion, than the fumble. Why isn't that doghouse? I hope Sean McDermott lets him out. I think that's a great point. And I think that's a question on a lot of people's minds about Isaiah McKenzie. What's going on there? And I know um, you could question how he's handled it on social media. You know, I'm out for the season. Um, the, the one word response to finding out with when Sean McDermott said he had to have someone back there that he trusted in the return game. Well, that's fine. You can put someone back out there as in terms of a punt returner, kick returner, but you can still have him involved in this offense. You can have him on those jet sweeps and, and getting just in motion to see what the offense is doing. But yeah, you know, I, I talked about earlier, play to your strengths, but this is also the time where if you feel like you have to get out a few trick plays to, to try to uh, get things going, do it because your season is pretty much on the line here. Uh, you need to have a big game defensively. We we've already said it m- many times on this show. The, the the pass rush from the front four is just really not there. So the Bills have to manufacture a pass rush in this game, sending some extra heat. And I know that can be dangerous against a guy like Tom Brady, but he also struggles against pressure at times. So it, both sides of the ball have to really have their best game plan of the season to date in this matchup if they want to uh, one maybe shock the NFL world after such a, you know, disappointing play against uh, New England and and where they're currently at, but, but also just get their season back on track. If you, if you beat the defending Super Bowl champions, all of a sudden, you know, maybe things aren't so bleak. And when you look at the end of that schedule, there's still an opportunity to win the AFC East and uh, to, to get a higher wildcard spot, because if they keep spiraling, We've questioned how you know the mentally tough this team is. If they keep spiraling, we're going to find out one way or another here pretty soon. So we're going to go around the horn here. We're going to bring you in here, Gene. I mean, we're going to right. we're, we're going to actually bring you in here. Let you let you make a pick for this game. Be a part of the official shout uh, Bills predictions uh, for for Sunday. But if you're hosting a large party for the game this weekend, make sure you head over to Tops. Check out their huge selection party platters for a delicious, effortless, and affordable, no stress way. To impress for complete details, stop by their carryout cafe or visit topsmarkets.com slash fantasy football. Gino, who are you picking? Tampa. I, okay. I'm sorry. And I think it, it just since when do we feel confident facing Tom Brady? All right. It's going to Br- Brady uh, in, in the storyline that seems forgotten is Tredavious White isn't here. So mm-hmm. for, for Tom Brady, he's going to go right at Dane Jackson, I fear. This is the best tandem of receivers between Godwin and Evans, and then you throw in Gronk, and all of a sudden Leonard Fournette was the guy that Jacksonville thought they were drafting. Now he is in this offense. I will take the Bucks 31-17. Not a blowout, but by the end it's very clear that uh, you know Tampa will pull and will prevail. I have the Buccaneers as well, 34-24. I, I think the cornerback situation is not ideal. Uh, I think Tom Brady is going to be able to, you know, pick and, and choose who he wants to target on a given play. And the Bills offense is going to have to be spectacular if they want to play catch up or, or just keep the pace with Tampa Bay in this matchup. Uh, if I get proven wrong, you know, I'll, I'll eat crow because I know there's a lot of Bills fans in the comments that are already upset with some of these uh, early predictions here, but it is what it is. Like Matt said, you sit there, you look at the the talent on both sides of the ball. And I I just have to go with Tampa Bay based on what we've seen with the bills over this last stretch of multiple weeks where they can't win more than one game at a time. You know, this is a team now that every chance they've gotten since Kansas city to beat a good team, 
they have failed to do so. And I think that this is going to be a competitive game. I actually really like the Bills in this spot because you get to go down to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay has been, you know, pretty successful. They got to get themselves up for this game. Um, you know, they, they're a team that I, I think they already kind of know where they're going. And I think the Bills are probably going to get right in a lot of ways this, this, this week. I think it's going to be a very close game. I'm going to go Tampa Bay 35. Buffalo 31 in a shoot shootout, but I'm going to go with Tom Brady and the Bucks. Just you got to show me something here. You know, this is a team that I had very high expectations for going into the season. I've picked them a ton this season to win games. And in some of these big spots, they just haven't delivered. They're saying all the right things, but we're going to get a really good, clear idea of where things stand in this game. Who the, who do the bills make active? I think it's, it might be time and this. Maybe we can end on this topic here. I think it might be time to bench Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. I think maybe you you go with Brita, maybe Antonio Williams. Maybe you do activate Isaiah McKenzie and let him run the ball a little bit. Something that they toyed around with back at camp. You know, it wasn't anything like, you know, significant, yeah, but it's something and, that, you know, they did a little bit. Yeah, the, 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 that's all worth considering. And, and the one thing that does give me pause here is, I don't know if you guys play guess the line. I always like kind of doing that before the, you know, I take a look. Okay, what, what, how much is Tampa Bay going to be favored? I'm thinking Tampa by six, Tampa by seven. Only favored by three? Really? Yeah. Okay, so I, I would have thought it would have been higher. So Vegas is saying, you know what? Um, the Bills have a shot in this game. Zach Moss, to me, that, 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 goal line play I'm not past that I mean that was just an easy read okay Josh Allen goes into the middle of the defense hands the ball he has to do is bounce it outside walks into the end zone Bills win this game we're having a completely different conversation this game why not give somebody get get somebody up if, if Singletary and Moss are not getting the job done try Antonio Williams try something different at this point and I'm going to be following your guys reports Matt John Feliciano to me is a huge key this week in my opinion, John Feliciano, when he is in there, the, the offensive line is completely different. They have a more of a nastiness. I know Spencer Brown kind of brings that sort of, but Feliciano to me is that leader. And if he comes back, that's that's a great thing for this Bills team. That's a great point. And let me just add to that. And I know, Ryan, I'll, I want to get your thoughts on this, but with Feliciano, I think it's important to get him back sooner rather than later because I think you do want to try to have – four or five games going into the playoffs where you get your five guys that you want out there and you can get some consistency and continuity there going with them into the playoffs. I think Ike Butker's actually played pretty well the last couple of weeks, but what we're seeing, one of the biggest problems that I have Josh Allen's play over the last couple of weeks is the antsiness that he seems. I thought there was a couple of plays the other night where he had to bail and was immediately starting dancing around there because protection broke down in front of him. I'm not saying that John Feliciano is necessarily going to be this huge improvement there uh, over Ike Bucker as a blocker, but I think he brings an edge, like you mentioned, some pre-snap stuff. Getting him back, I think, would be a huge hit. We'll see how that transpires in the next couple of days. Yeah, I mentioned in the Things to Watch article, the communication factor. The, you know, Bobby Johnson last year gushed about that in terms of how intelligent he is, in terms of what he sees pre-snap, what he, you know, he and Mitch can talk about, what they can relay back to Josh Allen. Uh, that That's big for a quarterback, and, and it, you know, I think just from a confidence factor that would help Josh Allen. He Feliciano's not an all pro guard or anything like that. He's uh still I think an upgrade over uh Butker who has played better, but as of late I should say not better than Feliciano, but 
I think he brings something from the intelligence standpoint, from the mean streak or whatever you want to call it. He just kind of brings that juice, I said, to the offensive line. He gets him fired up. He gets the the whole offense fired up. And I think this unit could really use that right now based on what we've seen and how they've played as of late. It's so good to have you on the show tonight, uh, Gino. We're always appreciative of you guys having us on your show every week. Uh, we love checking in with you guys and having a good time. For Ryan Talbot, Gene Battaglia, uh, oh, what's the station, by the way? Got to make oh, sure we we're get that 95.7, the fan Rochester. So like the fan New York City, CBS Sports Radio, picking up a lot of the, the properties there, including Rome. But we're, our, we talk Bills football three to six every afternoon. And normally you can check Matt out on Tuesdays. You're in Tuesday, you Matt? Oh, what do you think? Check it in. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. All right, everybody. Have a great night. We will see you down in Tampa Bay. I arrive Saturday. We'll be with you after the little bit later, Ryan. It's a 4.30 uh, kickoff. So our show is probably going to drop around 8.30 or so. Stay tuned for that. Have a great weekend, everyone. Take care. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.